Coming up on this episode of Decades with the Sisters, the mid-60s, from 64 to 66, the world was crazy. There was a war in Vietnam. The sexual revolution had hit the United States. But what was going on on television? We discuss this next on Decades with the Sisters. Thank you for joining us for Decades. I'm Karen. And I'm Regina. And we're going to take you on a journey back in time and television. Today, we have a guest with us, Patty Sykes. She is a good friend of ours, and we are going to talk mid-60s. Patty, tell us about yourself. Uh, well, I was born in the 50s, so my coming of age really is the 1960s. And in the 60s, uh, so much was going on. I had great history teachers. It convinced me to go to college. I was a first-generation college graduate in my family, and I majored in history and started teaching in the 1970s, and I just retired. Yay, history! <laughs> yay, yay. Happy retirement! Thank yes. My hero. <laughs> so... Around, first, around 1974, 19, 1964, the poll tax was abolished. That was one of those things where they made you pay to vote. Yep. Supreme Court said, no, 24th Amendment is gone. Yep. Shouldn't have to pay to exercise a right. Mm -hmm. That was kind of right around with the Civil Rights uh, Act and stuff, right? Right. It was um, right before, it was right after the Civil Rights Act of 64 was signed, but before the Voting Rights Act was signed. So the the poll tax took care, uh, amendment took care of one infringement on uh, Black vote, but they had to come back with the Voting Rights Act to uh, wipe out the other restrictions. But growing up here in Texas, Texas was one of the states that had the poll tax. So was Louisiana. And so not every state had one, but there were still a remnant of states, which poll tax dated back to the time of early 1800s. But it had changed to a situation of preventing people uh, to vote because they used grandfather clauses that if your grandfather voted by the election of 1860, you never had to pay that poll tax. Oh, wow. Of oh, 1860. Yeah. 1860. And you know that that excluded anyone who um, was uh, either poor or you were uh, African-American. Yeah. Yep. See, this is well, what happens when you bring the history teacher in today. Right? <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> what was that like, though? Were you in high school? Where were you in 64? You in high school? In, yeah. In 64, I started. Uh, so I graduated in 69. So in 64, the fall of 64, I, I was a freshman in high school. And, um, you know, it was a, um, a segregated school. It was a small town. 
but it was still a, a segregated school. We had a few Hispanic students, but not very many. Um, and history was taught because it was the state of Texas. The textbooks taught history from a pro-Southern Rebellion position. Really? Yes, yes. What does that look like? That looked like when you, uh, your teacher taught you about carpetbaggers uh, who were Northerners who came down to um, uh, post-Civil War to help reconstruct the South. And Scalawags were Southerners uh, who cooperated with them. So you could tell by the, the names that uh, they were derogatory names toward these two group of people. So when history becomes more revised, and by revised, I, I get upset with people talking about we should never revise history. Yes, you have to revise history because history is not always taught correctly. So by the 1990s, we begin to see historians come out with revisionist history. They revisit history. And what you find is carpetbaggers were actually, uh, for the most part, well-meaning Northerners who came down to work in the Freedmen's Bureau uh, to educate uh, adults who were liberated from slavery as well as their children. They uh, pumped in $2 million from the North into these schools um, and paid for teachers to come in and um, to, you know, uh, correct the wrong of denying education to um, uh, the freed men and women of the South. And so Scalawags, these were people who did not believe in the Southern cause to rebel. And really? they were called Scalawags by the rebels. So that's what that's what's good about revisiting history. So today we we teach carpetbaggers and and we don't even use the word Scalawags. You know, we, we talk about how there were uh, middle to uh, lower class white Southerners who did not support the rebellion. Wow. wow. And you know what? I remember being t- taught carpet bag, carpet baggers in yeah. Scalawags. I remember I that. Too. Yeah. I do too. I do remember that in history. So that would have been the 80s I was in. Right. Yeah. They don't change the textbooks till about 2000. Really? Oh, yeah. oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. But that sounds like that poll tax was a really big deal. So they mm-hmm. would have had to revamp their whole voting kind of mm-hmm. rules and regulations and was on the rolls I mean, and who was not. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So what you see, and um, I don't know what the percentage is, was in Texas or Louisiana with the poll tax, but I know with the Voting Rights Act, I mean, Mississippi, the voting um, of um, African-Americans jumps up about 50 to 60 percent after that act is passed. So what begins to happen is that you see what Reconstruction tried to do with, you know, the 14th and 15th Amendments, especially with establishing citizenship, with, uh, you know, not denying mainly men. Women were not included on that. So you have a a new women's movement of black women as well as white women who want that right to vote. Uh, And because of um, racism, uh, they have to form their own voting rights groups. 
So you see what Reconstruction tried to do and didn't get done because it ended, um, it, it pulled, they pulled out the troops that protected the black vote. You see the, the 24th Amendment, the Voting Rights Act, correcting all that. Wow. Yeah. Nice. But, took, but think about the dates. That's 1870 yeah. to 1960. That's 90 years. 90 years went by. And a lot of people didn't get to vote by that time, too. And see, I'm nerd enough to want to find newspapers from that era to read them just to see from different parts of the country, just to see the response to that, because that was a really big deal to change the voting demographic like that. And it right. took, yeah, it took a president like Lyndon Johnson, who was a new dealer under FDR. Um, he knew how to, he was also the Senate majority leader under Eisenhower. So whatever negative things you could say about Johnson and Vietnam and some other stuff, uh, Johnson knew how to bring Republicans and Democrats together. I often say, I so wish we could go back to the the more bipartisan yeah. um, uh, mood of Congress under Johnson, because Everett Dirksen, he was the Senate minority leader, a Republican from Illinois. Um, Johnson got in his car and drove to his house and said, I need your, you to get Republicans to get behind these, these things, especially the Voting Rights Act of 65. And Dirksen brought, brought the Republicans to the table to vote you know, yes on that. See, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And see, see? now, I'm a, but now that you brought in the Vietnam, I'm gonna have to bring in the Vietnam. And oh, we're, gonna, okay. we're gonna jump on on the television because I mean, here we are in the midst of Vietnam. And what does television look like? Television looks like Gomer Pyle. Mm-hmm. Can you see what television? You can see what they're saying about military. Gomer Pyle was a very became a very very popular show. And that but, was that. Okay, go ahead. No, no, no. You you go ahead with Gomer Pyle. No, Gomer came on in 1964, lasted till 69. They starred Jim Neighbors, Frank Sutton, Ronnie Shell, Roy Stewart. 150 episodes, five seasons, and it was the adventures of a bumbling marine. But this is my thing. When Vietnam started. Was the country on board with this? I thought it started off, everybody was on board with it, but as it took too long, then people started saying, okay, let's get out of this, blah, blah, blah. We're sick of war. We want to move more towards peace or whatever. I mean, is that kind of how it was, Patty? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to remember that we're in the Cold War during that time. And he, that show starts in 64. It brings in the Andy Griffith show audience, yeah. which makes yeah. it, you know, really popular. Um, and we, we have come through the, uh, there's the, been the Berlin uh, problem, you know, with uh, the Berlin Wall is built. Um, we've had uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. That's been in 62. So in 64, we, the nation, for the most part, really is, I mean, going, if you have to go back to the Eisenhower years on this, I mean, we've been built through the 50s. Y'all have done the 50s shows. Uh, we've been built into this homogeneous society. Uh, yeah. 
we're yes. all alike. And you yes. well know we're not all alike, but that's been the propaganda. And TV has played to that propaganda yeah. up to that point. And I mean, I grew up in a single mother home and TV didn't play that way uh, into the very beginning of the 60s. And all of a sudden right. you see in the 60s, you see single parent households with yep. you're going to get into some of these shows in just a moment. So I won't mention them, but um what happens in 64 is everybody wants to support the government. There's also been a very critical thing that's happened, and that was the uh, assassination of Kennedy playing into this because there it was Kennedy's election in 64 coming up, and he's been assassinated. And many historians believe he was on the verge of pulling troops out of Vietnam. Then really? all of this, yes. Yes, there was a coup d'etat in South Vietnam on November 1st, 1963. Uh, the military took over. They executed the president of uh, South Vietnam, who was supported by Eisenhower and Kennedy. And Kennedy was going, what the heck? And Kennedy was beginning to take another, took another look at what the conflict was really about. I mean, it really was a civil war in Vietnam. Um, it should have been settled. We look back on it now and say it should have been settled by the Vietnamese people. So Kennedy, really? I fully believe that Kennedy's assassination was a tipping point event in history because in 64, it's Johnson now running for president of the United States. Barry Goldwater is the Republican from Arizona running against him. He is a co-war hawk, and he's selling the message to the American people that Democrats are salt on communism. And then all of a sudden, in August of uh, 64, there, Johnson gives a national address, and this brings in TV. He goes live on TV and he tells us that we've had a ship attacked in the Gulf of Tonkin. And the very next day, he goes to the United States Congress and he asks for blank check presidential powers. Wow. Now, yeah. Remember, I told you he was a new dealer. He was mentored by FDR who got blank check powers in the New Deal. So he gets blank check war powers in 1964. And Americans believe he's telling us the truth. And so Americans support that. So the war begins to, they, they begin Operation Rolling Thunder in 1965. That is the escalation of troops. And those troops are escalated to half a million by 1969. Half a million. American boys. And that's why Gomer Powell is a really important show during this period, because a lot of Americans are looking at there are a lot of Gomer Powells being drafted and sent to Vietnam. You know, it's a rich man's war, but a poor man's fight. And, Ooh. Yes. and that was yeah. Gomer. Gomer came yeah, right exactly. up. Exactly. Now, OK. And you're going to bring in some other stuff in 66 in a minute. So you've got the civil rights movement taking a new direction during time. And about men's fight, you're sitting for the first time, African-American boys being drafted at the age of 19. Uh, and it's the first time we see an integrated troop setting in American history. 
Really? Vietnam? Yes. yes. Vietnam is uh, Truman desegregated the military, but you don't see a, you still see segregated military in the Korean War because that's right after he does that. So it is the Vietnam War where black and white soldiers are, are intermingled together into units. And you, you see a real clash of cultures right there. You've got the you know, black brothers who will form their own little group in the unit and there are whites and every now and then you'll have some that come in between and consider each other just, you know, uh, soldier brothers. But there's a lot of what's going on in America that we're probably going to talk about in a minute that plays into the setting. So you've got back home, by the time we get to 66, you're going to see this rising anti-war movement that will escalate 67, 68, and 69 when Gomer Powell show ends. That is when most Americans are against the war. And we've had the election where the Democrats lose and Richard Nixon is the new president of the United States. And you know what, one thing I want to I want to tip in there in the middle of what you said about how you have these the black brothers and the white brothers coming together and they form these teams. And whoops, what did we introduce? Mission Impossible. Yes. Where for the yeah. first yes. time you have yeah. an African American, Greg Morris, playing mm -hmm. an intelligent person who owns a business who is a key member of the team. And it's just kind of wow. like, wow, look at there. And he is a member of the team who loves the team and the team loves him. And he's, he's good looking too. Yeah. He's very handsome. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's pretty. He's pretty. He is very wow. pretty. That is so crazy that mm -hmm. you see the shift in the politics, in the voting, and in, in the TV. I never thought of Gomer Powell in that way because, of course, I'm introduced to Gomer Powell in what? the 80s or, or, or 90s or whatever. So to me, it's just, why is this goofy man uh, in the military? This is almost like, I don't know. I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. Because of course on Andy Griffith, he was kind of goofy too. But to think <laughs> that that was going on while they were trying to get people to, hey, come on, come fight this war with us and be a proud American and blah, blah, blah. I can see that now. Yes. I mean, that yes. makes perfect sense to me. Right. Yeah. And they had a draft exemption that if you went to college, you were exempt until you got out of college. So you had a lot of Gomer Pauls who couldn't afford to go to college. Wow. Yeah. So they had to go fight. They had to go fight. Yeah. Wow. That right so there. I, I graduated in 69 and immediately after 69, I mean, there were several, you know, guys that joined the military to avoid being caught up in the draft. That way they really? could, they could, yeah, they could have, uh, they could have a choice. I mean, they could say uh, if they joined, they gave them more leeway about, okay, where you want to go. So um, not, not to say they did not go to Vietnam, but if you were drafted, you were automatically sent to Vietnam. Wow. All of that was going on. Mm -hmm. 
And, well, and, and an, yeah. another really big cool thing about the 60s, and one of the things we want you to think about is that while all of this is going on and there, the turmoil in, that's happening in the world, one of the things television is starting to do is to introduce more characters like Barney on Mission Impossible. You would see more people like him. Mm-hmm. And also Star Trek came where you had Lieutenant Uhura. That was where Michelle um, Nichols became this lieutenant of communication. You know, it was like, wow, look at her. She can do this. Yeah. And so people of, of color were getting significant roles on television and representation really did matter. Mm-hmm. That was, that's really crazy. And let's see, Bill Cosby was on I Spy back yep. in, back in those right. times. Uh-huh. So, I'm wondering, okay, so we're after the Civil Rights Act, were we seeing more Black people being able to like buy televisions, watch TV, become consumers to where it's like, okay, this is a demographic that we need to start Mm -hmm. focusing on? Because we know, come on, TV is trying to sell to whoever's gonna watch. So if it's like, oh, we got more Black people watching TV. So let's kind of change up the way we do this because, hey, they buy stuff, they watch TV, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like that shift yes. in, in how they're going to portray this. But it just seems like such a weird time because in the midst of all that, they had like the Munsters and the Adams family. Those are not <laughs> typical families. <laughs> I mean, I think it goes back to her attack on like you had that homogenous family in the 50s, but in the 60s, they started making the family look totally different. Yeah. The family came from all kinds of different places. And then that's where you get that Adams family. And that, I mean, they still had a mother, father, you know, but they brought in that extended family with the uncles and the aunts and the, you know, the extra folks. Yeah, they did. They did. You said you were raised with a single mom. What was mm-hmm. the first show that you noticed where there was a single parent on TV? Oh, that's a great question. I- I'll have to tell you, part of it was the Westerns, like The Rifle Man and yes. Bonanza. Yes. You know, th- th- they were single dads. And then another one, one of my favorite comedians, Danny Thomas, the Danny Thomas Show. Yes. He, he was he re, he was a, a widower who remarried. You know, Marjorie Lord played his second wife. And um, that's where it came to me. I'm, I'm not alone out there. I mean, I grew up in a small community and there was no one else in my community that didn't live in, um, you know, a double parent home until the fourth grade. A boy down the street moved in and his dad had died. And we became very close, not boyfriend, girlfriend close, but we became very close. We bonded over the fact that we had single mother homes. Um, So, you know, it was, I never felt like I fit in anywhere. I mean, like church would have the daddy daughter dance. I couldn't go, you know, everybody else in my community went, uh, but I couldn't do those things. Um, and I was seven when he died. So I, you know, he died in the fifties. So my entire, you know, coming of age was without a father and I had two uncles, but I was not close to either one of them, my mother's brother or my father's brother-in-law. So no grandfathers. I grew up in a, you know, matriarchal society and the Beverly Hillbillies. That was another show, you know, single. Yes. 
But that was, I, I love that show because it, there was also extended family, you know? Yes. Right. Yeah. You, had the, yes. you had the grandmother and the cousins. Yeah. But the 60s really did, I mean, it kind of blew the lid off of the, what everybody thought you had to be in the 50s, including, you know, TV brought in music. It brought in uh, how to look. I used to watch Hullabaloo and copy the dances. Our cousin, listen, our cousin who did a different part of the 60s, she said that that's what she would do. They would watch Shindig. So you remember American Bandstand, American Bandstand, they would bring in the black performers because their music was so good. But all the Philly kids were white. And, (laughs) you know, you kind of went, okay. That's all right. And then here comes Shindig and Hullabaloo. And it, it just totally, and laughing. And that just kind of blows everything, you know, out that you learn from the 50s. So right, yeah, that's right. how I learned to dance, you know. <laughs> get, the, get those go-go girls up there in their boots and little shorts. And that's how I learned to dance. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm I'm telling y'all, I'm going to look up Hullabaloo and Shindig because, <laughs> yes. Yes. number one, the names alone crack me up. But so that was your soul train. That yes. was kind of like your yes. soul train. Yes. Okay. Yes. But I watched, okay. I mean, Stephen and I, we married, we watched Soul Train. Yeah. Oh. We were talking about, I was talking about y'all doing um, the 70s when I was Steve and uh, I said, you know, I don't know if they mentioned the soul train. And he he lets out that soul train. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Listen. I really can see Cowboy Steve going soul. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that. But like you say, that's how you learn to dance by yes. watching the dancers yeah. on television. And I mean, maybe they thought this is a good way to sell records or music. Yeah, but we was. thought, mm-hmm. I want to see what the latest fashions are because they always look so good. Yeah. And the dances. Yeah. So, exactly. yeah, that's what got yeah. me. Yeah. That's what got you me. Yeah, I grew I up in a small town. And in 69, I was on my uh, officer on the student council, and we petitioned the school board to let us have dances in the gym. And so I had to go and be one of five students to go speak with the school board. Well, sitting there on the school board was my Baptist minister and there was the Church of Christ minister and the school board voted down as having a place to dance. So a, uh, a man who owned a shopping center strip out in, in Everman, where I grew up, he had a vacancy in a shopping center strip and uh, he opened it up. We called it the Bulldog of Go-Go. No. No. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I got to dance. I, I finally got to dance a lot. All those dances I learned, I got to do. So yeah. y'all were like the footloose of Everman. We were. <laughs> we were footloose. Oh my God, Bulldog and Go Go. You go, yeah. girl. <laughs> y'all, no, my, ch- y'all. my children don't even know this information. See? See, now we're telling secrets. I love yeah, it. I know. Now Courtney's going to know it all. Now, but here is what we want to leave everybody with. I mean, in spite of all these things that we were talking about and we've been bringing up a lot of stuff, in 1965, Malcolm X was assassinated. Bloody Sunday took place on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Life in America was not funny for some of us. 
but nine out of the 10 top shows were comedies. Mm -hmm. These comedies were ruling the ratings and a lot of people were noticing because it was changing the way that people we're doing things. We want to thank you guys for listening to our podcast. And Patty, thank you for uh, being with us. We gonna add, we definitely going to have you back. Oh, yeah. Oh, you back. yeah. Decades with the Sisters is produced by Karen J. Anderson. Music by Karen's friend Dave. And Regina Anderson just shows up to talk. Oh.